And welcome to Sunday Coffee. Bulldogs have won the first two this weekend against South Carolina. It's a beautiful Sunday morning here in downtown Starkville at the Southeastern Sports Group Studios. The crowd across the way beginning to line up at the Starkville Cafe, getting ready for their biscuits and pancakes. Charlie, I didn't eat before I got here, so let's make this pretty quick. Yeah, well, you're going to have to be really quick. You want to get in line over there. All right, so look back at the last two days. States won the first two against South Carolina. We said coming in, this was really going to be the toughest test we thought in the last three weekends of the year. Has anything surprised you about how the weekend has gone? Of course, State won easily on Friday night, 9 to nothing. Win yesterday, 9-6. to six. South Carolina kind of crawls back into the game yesterday. But has it really surprised you at all about how Mississippi State, how we have played this weekend and really just taken it to South Carolina? I think the thing that has probably surprised me is how well we've hit the baseball. We've become conditioned a little bit, I think, to this idea that we aren't a very good hitting team. But the top of our order right now is really, really good hitting the baseball. Tanner Allen, seven for nine on the weekend, five RBIs. And it's one of those situations over the last couple weeks that every time Tanner Allen comes to the plate, I'm in that mode right now where I'm almost expecting him to get a hit. I mean, he's just a guy that's gotten so hot. And, hey, Rowdy Jordan at the top of the order, first at bat of the game. I'm almost anticipating Rowdy getting a base hit every single time he comes to the plate. And the other guy that I'm starting to have a lot more confidence in at the plate is Logan Tanner, a guy who you feel like when he comes up there, he's got a legitimate chance to drive a ball out just about any time he comes up. And I think part of the reason that I'm more excited about him as a hitter is we've seen him go the other way with balls. A lot of guys can pull one out, but when you can go opposite field repeatedly the way he has, wind or no wind, short porch or not, you've got something going for you. And he's not up there taking these big home run swings. He's keeping his swing simple, getting straight to the baseball, and it's got some life to it. He's 9 for 18 in his last four games. 9 for 18. He went two for four in a game against the Citadel on the Wednesday night, went three for five in a game yesterday. So he's 500 over your last four games. Then you've got Tanner Allen, who's hitting, what, 571 in the last, what, eight SEC games. You talk about two guys who are just pounding it. I'm not talking about just little dinks and ground balls. I'm talking about guys that are hitting it well. Okay, let's look back at, at Friday night. Christian McLeod drawing the start. You kind of wondered what you were going to get out of Christian, what kind of bounce back performance. Let's look back at last week against Texas A&M. You had three starts from your starting pitchers that combined for 11 innings of work against Texas A&M. This week, you kind of wondered going to South Carolina, how would that matchup be with Christian McLeod? And I'll tell you what, he answered the bell Friday night. Well, he did. It's interesting if you go back and look. I think Christian McLeod's best outings in SEC ball have been when the wind is blowing in. He's a guy that can give up a few fly balls, but when you can have the confidence that the park's going to hold it, I think it makes you a little more willing to challenge hitters. And McLeod goes seven innings, allows just one hit. The thing that I thought McLeod did, I thought Bart, his curveball, his secondary pitches were really good. I don't think McLeod is guilty. We used to talk about Connor Pilkington trying to nibble and things like that. I don't think that's been the issue with him. I think sometimes when he struggles, it's like he just can't get that release point on those secondary pitches. Boy, he had it on Friday. 
he's had trouble the last couple times out with the second and third time through the order. He didn't have that on Friday night as well. And if you talk to people who see the analytics, his fastball's got some life. I mean, his fastball has some RPMs to it. He just pitches, like you said, Charlie, as a different guy. And we've talked about that this year. I mean, nothing's changed. I mean, it's, he kind of goes as his curveball or changeup goes. I'll tell you one thing I'm happy about in, on this Friday night game. We struck out eight guys. And you know what? All the talk that's gone into striking out ten, how many games will we strike out ten? I don't care. I want outs. And I think guys like McLeod are better when they are pitching to some weak contact. He got seven ground ball outs, got eight fly ball outs. He only struck out six. And what happened? He threw seven innings, and his pitch count was under 90. I would much rather have a guy give me seven good innings of one-hit baseball and be able to brag that we kept his pitch count down than to brag that I got five innings and he struck out 12. Strikeouts, when you chase them too aggressively, I think can hurt you as a pitcher. And when you look back to that Friday game, Rowdy Jordan leads off the single to, to center field, left center field, and then Tanner Allen singles to center field. And then all of a sudden you get a base hit from Cameron James. And then, you know, it's it's just all of a sudden you got South Carolina on their heels. You know, you got their starting pitcher, Jordan, who's going in a Friday night role for the first time. And you come right out and you kind of shake him a little bit and you take that early lead. I thought that was so big, and it was big yesterday as well. But just so that's it, the thing about your pitchers, right? What have they been able to do? Pitch with a lead. And it's different, isn't it? It's completely different. If you fill up the strike zone more, you don't try to nibble as much. You understand that walks are the things that can hurt you. So you look back at Friday night, and you take a 2 nothing lead. You add a run to it in the fifth inning, and then the seventh inning rolls around. You've got a 3 nothing lead, and hey – Kip Balknight said it on the air. And, by the way, Kip Balknight, of course, if you watch the first two games, he's the analyst for South Carolina. Kip Balknight was an unbelievable pitcher. And, I mean, I, I saw him the other night and, and listened to him, and I thought back to just how good he was in his day. He won the Golden Spikes Award in 2000, the best player in college baseball. And we hit him a little bit when he came to start. Well, I think it was 99 when he came over here, we hit him really, really well. But then the next year, I think he handled us pretty well in 2000. But, man, he was just a really good pitcher. But he brought up a good point of, hey, it's a 3 nothing game, but it just feels like more. And you're in that area right then where South Carolina has been one hit. All it takes is a couple guys on base and one run out of the yard, and all of a sudden it's tied. That's what makes that seventh inning. We just kept on pouring it on. And then that five-run seventh, to get all those runs, to push that lead out. That was essentially the ball game. Forsyth started all that, and Cameron James had a big double net inning. All right, I got to ask you, though. So you put those runs on the board in the seventh. You go to the bottom half of the inning. Preston Johnson there? Well, I mean, yeah, you're ahead so big at that time. You're ahead 8 nothing. The only get- thing I could figure is you already had him up. That was the plan. You know, you're thinking it's it's a closer game. Let's have him ready to go. I, I, I wasn't really sure. Now, it doesn't matter. Because he only threw 17 pitches, so he's fine. He can go again today. But you didn't know how yesterday was going to play out. No. And so you wonder. I just thought that was the one move that I thought was a little interesting. Well, it was probably, and I go back to what you just said, uh, you probably already have him down there. You already probably have him tossing around in the top half of that inning, not understanding that you're going to get – 
you have five runs in the inning, and even if you get two, even if even if it's five to nothing, eh, you may want to bring him in there. Another thing too is is he's a he's a guy that lives up in the zone now, and you may see the weather reports and see how the wind was blowing out yesterday. It's going to blow out even harder today. He's a guy that pitches up in the zone. If you're going to burn him, do you want to burn him some on Friday night when the wind's not really hurting you a whole lot? And then have the opportunity of bringing him back on Sunday. To me, that was may have been a thing as well as, hey, we we may want to use him twice. And that's the only thing I could think of is, like you say, you're already anticipating using him. All of a sudden, a run or two becomes five, and that makes all the difference. And so he pitches an inning. He gives you the eighth after McLeod gives you seven strong innings. McLeod went seven innings. No runs, one hit, six strikeouts, two walks. And as you said, Charlie, 89 pitches, 58 strikes. And so he just pounded the zone, man. It was great to see. And then Preston Johnson comes in, pitches well in the eighth inning. We go to Casey Hunt in the ninth. You know, Casey, went, he walked a couple, and but he's a live arm for you. 25 pitches, 13 strikes for Casey Hunt. But at that time, it's nine to nothing. And so you want to throw you know a guy out there who really doesn't have as much – you know, experience pitching in SEC play. It was interesting. I got a message from a friend saying, we got to take him out. Why? <laughs> Why? At yeah. this point of the year, are we really chasing shutouts? No, Who I'm not. Who cares? Yeah, I'm not. I'm, I get it that trouble can start in a hurry in the SEC, but if we go in the ninth up nine and we get into trouble, we got bigger issues. Okay, let's go to yesterday. Once again, we come out, we get that start from Rowdy Jordan leading everything off in the first inning. Just first pitch swinging through the right side, then Allen triples, Hancock homers, and then all of a sudden, you know, Sanders is out on the mound. Boom, you're down 3 nothing. Same way as it was Friday night. Then all of a sudden, Bednar can go out and kind of be relaxed a little bit in the bottom of the inning. Brief aside, by the way, we talk so much about the different SEC Plus broadcasts that go on, but Mississippi State really blessed to have a very good camera crew. I missed most of Tanner Allen's triple. I didn't know whether he lined out to second. I didn't know whether he hit, hit it to the wall. The, the camera work has been, uh, well, it, it could. I don't know if they work with the same consultants that we do. And the one, the reason I say that is, is just how tight it's been on the pitcher and home plate. I mean, that's tighter than anything I've ever seen in baseball, to be honest with you. And I know you're talking about the switchers and switching and, getting different camera angles. All it, but you've got no perspective when you're zoomed in. I mean, you can count freckles on a guy's face. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's been kind of tough and completely understandable. But it, I go back to the point, we're all using the same consultant. We're all interesting today, right, because it's a network broadcast. Right. And let's see who's – let's see if it's different today. That would be interesting to see. But it, it should be the same camera guys. should be. I would think it would. I mean, it is for us. Maybe, maybe put maybe, somebody else in the truck today. Maybe our guys are just that good. I mean, I, I think we kind of take it for granted every now and then. I think of Dylan Bonfani, who's usually out at center field. He's a camera guy. And, you know, Dylan he works with a company. He travels the country doing games for ESPN. And we got him in center field. We've got so many guys. Lewis Halbert behind the plate. We've got a multiple guys behind the plate. We have a communications professor behind the plate. I mean, we got guys that understand what they're doing when they got a camera in their hand, which has been pretty cool, to be honest with you, because, hey, it helps us a lot. I can tell you that for a fact. I mean, you get a lot better looks on replays. All right, so while we're taking this little trip, I know we'll get to talking about Arkansas later, but the importance of having good broadcast 
with guys in the stadium was on display last night, wasn't it? Oh man, yeah, that is an aside. All and, right, and I'm so, going there. I'm going there too. Georgia and Arkansas late in the game, ninth inning, two outs, got a runner at third, wild pitch, pass ball, whatever it was, and nobody knows what happened. They call the batter out. You're like, what in the world? Todd and, Walker's like, huh? You got a fastball up and in. He's doing the game. He's a color analyst. Fastball up and in. How's anybody out? And apparently, what happens? And we learned this only from Georgia Twitter is that the ball kicked away, and it apparently hit the guy in the on-deck circle. The guy in the on-deck circle tried to catch the ball. Oh, is that what happened? He yeah. tried to catch it. He tried to catch it, and he dropped it. But he interfered with the ball, the catcher going back. That is the reason the batter is out. Now, and if you see that, and, and look, Todd Walker is a good analyst. Todd Walker knows baseball. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the guy was a national champion. He played in the major leagues forever. He understands the game but he can't call what he can't see. And you go back to if he is in that stadium, he knows immediately what happened, and there's none of that confusion. But, and this is the thing that scares me, there's been a lot of money spent getting people set up to broadcast from home, and there's been a lot of money saved by letting them sit at home. You're not putting them on an airplane, you're not paying a mileage, you're not buying a hotel room. And I'm just very scared that that is going to become commonplace. And maybe most people don't care. But when I tune into a game, I want to learn something. And at a minimum, I want to have some idea what happened. You didn't get that in a big SEC game last night. And, hey, I know know they hate to do it. But these guys can do more games now. I mean, Todd Walker did that game last night. Isn't he doing our game today? I think so. Yeah, I mean, he did a game last night that happened at Bomb Stadium in Arkansas, and he's doing a game that happens today in Columbia, South Carolina. So, I mean, those guys can do more games, but, man. And, and they'll all tell you, I wish I was there. I wish I was there. But, I mean, there's – And a, it's not their fault. It's not that's their the fault. Thing that, no, it's not their fault at all. Because you and I sure know this. There's a lot of things that broadcasters do that are our fault, and you just got to wear them and move on. But you also become a proxy for things that – other things about the broadcast that people don't like. And so those guys will be catching heat on Twitter or messaging, what have you, about how did you not know what was going on? Well, it's not their fault they're not there. It's not their fault they can't tell. It's just the circumstance that corporate America has decided that we're going to be in. And, hey, a lot of times, too, as we're going down this aside, and we're going right back to baseball, I promise. This is baseball. I know. But a lot of times when those guys are broadcasting, we've had it happen before where we've had a doubleheader. And you bring in, you know, a, a producer that's you know, that's coming in, and you take away our normal director producer. You understand what those guys are hearing during their broadcast, and all of a sudden they're coming back from break. Hey, there's a girl with an ice cream pill. Talk about that ice cream pill. Here's a plane flying over. Kind of patriotic day. You know, we had Veterans Day earlier today. Whatever. I mean, they're uh, telling you essentially what angle they want you to talk about. I, I used to tell people that if you want to listen to a radio broadcast and complain about what people talk about, blame the broadcaster because it's you. You own it there. But on TV, so many times those guys are getting it in their ear. Hey, we're about to get a shot of Tanner Allen. Talk about Tanner Allen or talk, talk about his pants. Yeah. And so you get prompted on those things. One of the benefits that you and I have is at least we've been working with the same guys long enough that when our guys are here, we can just say, eh, I don't think so. Well, and, and our guys understand baseball too. 
I mean, it's it's not about a show. I mean, I think I think they tried to turn it into baseball. Let's go back to yesterday with Mississippi State and South Carolina. So we did the same thing we did on Friday. We jumped out to the early lead. We scored in each of our first five at-bats yesterday, three in the first, one in the second, one in the third, one in the fourth, and then three more in the fifth. And boom, you got a 9 nothing lead in the game yesterday. It was the water torture effect after the first. Oh, my. Just another drop, another drop, another drop. And you can't tell me, after getting beat 9 to nothing on Friday night, that when South Carolina came to the plate in the bottom of the sixth inning yesterday, and they've been outscored 18 to nothing on the weekend, that they were not beaten down at that point. No, they absolutely were. And I guess, wait, South Carolina had one in the fourth. So they outscored 18-1 to one when they came to bat. Yeah, state. that's right. Okay. And then you get the home run, but it's still 9-3. And now, I don't want to fast forward too far, but here's my problem. Bottom of the seventh. I thought that was the time. There was the big debate yesterday about using Landon Sims. We shouldn't have used Sims, shouldn't have used Sims. I believe we should have used Sims. I believe we had to use Sims. My frustration is that we got to the situation where we had to, and that is because you give up three unearned runs in the bottom of the seventh. Yeah, it's it's not that we used Sims. It's that we had to use Sims, and the reasons we had to use Sims, it wasn't South Carolina. It was us. Self-inflicted. Self-inflicted. And looking back at us over the last couple of months, if there's been any detriment, it's been kind of our own unraveling, defensively or whatever, and that's that's kind of that's what hurt us yesterday. Not only do you let South Carolina get in the ball game, but then all of a sudden you got to burn a big bullet. I would feel a lot better today. I would feel a lot better today if I had Jackson Fristo, Houston Harding, and then Landon Sims. If I knew I had Landon Sims sitting out in the bullpen that I could bring in in the sixth or seventh inning, I would feel a lot better about it today. It's a nine-one game, and then you start kicking it around a little bit. And and you do, and it has ramifications beyond the game yesterday. It didn't cost you that game. But baseball, you talk about all the time, it's sequential. Well, so are weekends. Weekends of baseball, to some degree, are sequential and cumulative. And the fact that you had to use that resource yesterday has a carryover effect, at least potentially today. And we still got arms. We still got guys. You still got Cam Teller, who pitched in all three games last weekend. But – Sims is a guy that I trust to keep it in the yard, even with the wind blowing. And I think today you've got a chance for a home run derby kind of afternoon. And if you knew that you really just have to find a way to get five innings and then give the ball to him in the sixth, I think you feel different about today. Not to pick on anybody. And we don't pick on players. We just don't do that. That's not who we are. So I guess a two-part question. One is – when do you bring Hatcher in the game to play at first base? He made a great play on a ground ball last night. You know, he's a great defensive. I would put him defensively against any first baseman in the country. I mean, the guy makes plays. He does. No, he's made some mistakes. Don't get me wrong. So, every, it's it's most documented. Everybody's talked about his at-bats and the batting average and where you are. But essentially, aren't you – what you're doing right now is determining with – having Leggett at third and Cameron James in the DH spot, and you move Hancock out of the DH spot to first base, aren't you right now essentially taking fielding at third base over fielding at first base? Is that a fair point? Oh, I think it is. I think basically what you have right now are four guys. You've got James and Leggett. 
And then you've got Hancock and Hatcher, and only three of them can play. The problem with taking Hatcher out of the ball game is that it means you take Hancock out of that DH spot. And so if you want to make a substitution for defense, so like what did I was thinking the other day? Well, I would love right here when we're up 9-1, to one, up 9-3, to three, go ahead and put Hatcher at first base and get my best defensive team on the field. But then you bring Hancock's bat out of the lineup. And that's the problem. And that's, that's the complicating factor for playing him at first base. So you, you look at Tanner Leggett's made some really good plays at third. You know, and he's two for 20, his last 22 in the last four games. And so you begin to ask a question, and this is and this is what I'm going with this. You know, there are, you know, Facebook groups. There are, you know, message boards. There are things of that nature. And I, I'm not saying that, hey, dadgummit, we know more baseball than you do. But this is one of the situations of, I guarantee you, if you see a ground ball that was booted yesterday, some guy on there is probably saying, you got to get Forsyth out of there. Any, You can't be – so quick to make moves in the game of baseball because mistakes are going to be made. And so you you ask yourself the question, I can't go off the last five games. Chris Lamonis does a great job of walking that line, of changing lineups and trying to press buttons and not leaving the same nine guys in. We've talked about that, it seems like, every single week. But when does it come a point where you say, you know what, we may have to have Hatcher late in the year. Do you put him back in the starting lineup? Well, and the other thing about it, too, is, and this is one of the things I think that takes some real getting used to in terms of a Chris Lamonis team versus the way that you and I grew up, which was the Ron Polk, here's my nine guys. I think it can be different day to day. It would not shock me one bit if we get the lineup today. And I'll give you another example. Brad Cumbus, if he isn't playing left field today, I can't tell you I'm going to be shocked. If – Josh Hatcher is playing first base, and Cameron James is playing third. I can't tell you I'll be shocked. I don't necessarily expect that. But the point being is if ever there's a guy who will kind of throw the numbers back in the hat and pull them back out again, I think it's Chris Lamonis. And so you wonder, have we decided, for example, that Hancock is just going to be our first baseman and we're going to live and die with it? Or have we decided we're going to go matchups and we're going to change things up each day? I think we'll learn a little bit about that today. That's what I was about to say. I think you're going to learn a lot today about whether, you know, of kind of what the plan is going forward the next few weeks. I really do. Now, here's the thing about we haven't talked about is looking forward to today. And all of a sudden you got Jackson Fristo for us. You know, South Carolina, their normal Friday guy, they moved him to the back end on Sunday just because they haven't had any success on Friday night. But the caveat today in that ballpark, it's a little warm over there. And the wind is going to be blowing straight out or to left center field at about 15 miles an hour. So, that being said, okay, so you ask yourself the question. Okay, Cumbus has, has not – his numbers have not been great the last five games. You're facing a right-handed pitcher. Do you throw Skinner in there? But the flip side of that is Cumbus can get a ball in the air in a hurry that can get out today. He can hit a pop-up to shortstop and it get out today. Yeah, that's the thing, right? A fly ball could go in this weather day. And that's the other thing. So many times when we talk about the wind blowing out, we tend to be thinking blowing out to left, blowing out to right, that it'll help one way hurt another. Right now, it's lining up as if we're going to see one of those just pushing everything out. And at that point, I don't care if you're lefty, righty, just give me some lift. And you go back, hey, look at South Carolina. 
Have they've had some really bad at bats, haven't they? Oh man, you know they um, they're waiting on the home run. As I say, the is big today swings. the day because it's almost like they've been trying to lift the ball, but they haven't been good enough at doing it facing the pitching they have. So today, you know, the wind blowing out, that's kind of their mantra. I'm going to try to hit the home run. You saw that with Eister. Eister has those lift at bats, and he almost hit one out of the yard for the third time to end the game in the game yesterday. So for us, Jackson Fristo, what do you see out of us today? Okay, when I think of when I think of Fristo, when I think of Houston Harding, and when I think of on the backside Parker Stinnett, I'm not thinking about many ground ball guys. No, I'm not either. And that's the one thing that causes you a little bit of concern is I think our pitching staff is one that can live up in the zone, but you've got a team that's going to try to get some lift on it. And it's one thing for a Will Bednar to live up and, and to, to run it past hitters. Don't know that you're going to see that from Mississippi State pitchers today. So the stats on Thomas Farr. You know, here's a guy going for Carolina today who has really struggled on Friday nights. And so I throw out records. I don't I don't really care about records. I mean, what is he, two and five, two and four? Thomas Farr is two and five, a three point six seven earn run average. Teams batting two forty two against him, right hander, right at a hit per inning, fifty seven hits and sixty one in the third. Thirty one strikeout uh, excuse me, seventy four strikeouts and thirty one walks. He's a guy that will, you know, walk one every two innings. He basically, on average, pitches five innings and gives up four runs. Three and a half, four runs every time. You know, there is not a single time that he has been on the mound this year that he has not allowed a run. And once he has gotten into SEC play, there's not a single time he's been on the mound and hasn't allowed multiple runs. And just thinking back to last week against Ole Miss and just the, the stuff that I watched, the, the film that I watched on that weekend, was he seemed like a fly ball pitcher as well. If you go back, I think it was two games ago, he got basically three out of his four outs on fly balls. And so all this, I'm telling you, this could be a softball game today. Okay, going back to that point, and you start talking about using Landon Sims yesterday and having to bring in Landon and blowing, you know, blowing a big bullet in that game. Because I don't see if he threw, what, 34 pitches in the game yesterday. If he throws 21, 22 pitches, I could say, yeah, you may see him back out there for an out or two. But 34 is a lot. All right, let me play the other side of this a minute. And I tend to agree with you, but. And you can disagree with me. No, I don't don't disagree. I, I want to explore an idea. And that is this. Look around the league. We have been critical rightly, in my opinion, of several other coaches who have guys who now have arm trouble. Hey, Jack Leiter was scratched yesterday. There were multiple scratches. How many how many pitches he throw in March? Yeah, exactly. And so we can go through and name a number of guys who either are out for the year or miss starts this weekend. Mississippi State has not overthrown guys, period. But here we are. We're now tied for first in the SEC. You got seven games left. You got to win them all. Is now the time that you say, all right, we're going to start using guys a little bit more. The weather is hotter. Okay. So you go back and you talk about all the things that go into arm injuries. One of the things for me is pitching early in a year when you aren't stretched out, when it's cold. So now what do you got? It's warmer weather, it's the stretch run, nothing in the midweek you care about. You got a week to get ready again is now the time you say, hey, you're a big boy. Let's see you again today. 
or do you wait and do that when you get to the SEC tournament or the NCAA tournament? Well, I don't care about the SEC tournament. Well, or the NCAA tournament. Do you wait to get the Omaha? Do you wait for the for the regional? Do you we wait could for throw you at the SEC tournament and it wouldn't raise my blood pressure one bit? I tell you what, the slider man. I'd have to get the shoulder loosened up. I left that shoulder right behind a plate at Chris Gay Memorial Field at East Central Community College. It's still down there. If you're, <laughs> if you're ever passing through Decatur, my shoulder is right there. But you get the idea. Now, maybe it's too soon. Maybe it's too soon to kick it in for the stretch run because you do have the bigger goal out there. And do we? maybe I care too much about winning an SEC championship. Maybe, maybe that's just a byproduct on the way to an ultimate goal, which is – being able to compete for a national championship. Hey, we can hang a banner even if we tie. It's been done before. So, before we get into the SEC race, and the question I want to bring up about, you know, yesterday, late in that game, not only do you have to burn Landon Sims, but do you also give South Carolina new life? Because I go back to the point of being in the sixth inning and being outscored 18-1. to They came back yesterday, got it back to a 9-6 to game, do they leave the ballpark yesterday feeling a lot better about themselves than they should have? Well, they competed for the first time. They were actually in a baseball game, and Birch or whoever it was said it a number of times. You know, this game in over was nine to one. I thought he was nuts, but it wasn't over. And I thought South Carolina's players thought it was over. But then all of a sudden, you give them a little bit of new life, and you wonder if that carries over to today. I thought we let them up off the mat. I think back to, was it 2016 when Texas A&M came in here and it seemed like every single pitch we threw got turned around, you know, knocking pitchers off the mound, hitting so hard. I thought that's kind of where we were yesterday. I thought we had South Carolina just down on the mat having our way with them, and we gave them a sign of life. All right, before we get out of here, you got four teams leading the SEC right now at 16-7. and seven. Here on the west side, Arkansas sixteen and seven, State is sixteen and seven, Ole Miss is fourteen and nine, two games back. Look over on the eastern side, you've got Tennessee, who's won the first two in Missouri this weekend. They're sixteen and seven. Vanderbilt is sixteen and seven. They've won the first two against Alabama. I've seen nothing to make me think that Tennessee and Vanderbilt are not going to win today. Now Agreed completely. The question about Arkansas is what kind of pitching do they have left? Because they had they've had to burn through some talent in the game yesterday. Did they throw Vermillion yesterday? Threw Vermillion yesterday. Because he got a lot of Sunday innings last week, and their starter last week went a third of an inning. That's the downside of Arkansas. Isn't, it? isn't, that, their, isn't that their Achilles heel if they've got one? Is The pitching just isn't elite. It's not. No, it's not. But their lineup's good. Looking where we are right now, today's a big game if you want to win the SEC. Because you got a chance. You got a chance to win the SEC. Because you look at next week, Arkansas plays Tennessee, Georgia and Florida play, Vanderbilt's at Ole Miss. And so the thing you have to say about Vanderbilt and Tennessee and Arkansas is you just don't need anybody to sweep. And sweeps next weekend are going to be tough for any of those teams. And you look at us, we've got Missouri. You got a chance to really make some hay next weekend. At the end of the day, we've won six SEC series so far and lost just two. We lost to Vanderbilt. We lost to Arkansas. We've won every other series. We've claimed this one already. This is our sixth win. We got a chance to win eight SEC series. Now, I know you still got to play Missouri, and Alabama is going to be better than everybody thinks, but 
we've really played ourselves into a really good position where it's going to take somewhat of a collapse to not be a national seed. I think you're there. Uh, uh, barring something really unforeseen, I think you're there. But uh, I'm to the point now, You, as we sat down earlier this week, we were talking about, well, you need to win seven of the nine and all these different things. Now I'm to the point, I just want to keep winning. Now we've gotten ourselves into a tie for first place. Just keep winning. You look at Vanderbilt. They've got a tough trip, as you said, next week to Ole Miss. And if Leiter can't go, that's a really tough matchup for them on Saturday with Nikasey. I mean, look, that guy's a competitor. Yep. And I think the bigger the game, the better he is. And so Vanderbilt's got a real chance to drop one next week. Somebody between Tennessee and Arkansas is going to going to take a, a step back, and you hope everybody gets a loss there. I think today is a huge, huge game for us. And before we go, once again, thanks to our fine friends at Cannon Ford of Startwell. Cannon Ford bringing you our Sunday coffee presenting sponsor. And I tell you what, if you are in Startwell and you have some car trouble, something's knocking, it's not supposed to be knocking, something's rattling, it's not supposed to be rattling, take it to the service center. If you need a spray-in bed liner, I mean, you can do that. It doesn't matter what kind of truck it is. They got the spray and bed liners. They can put a new battery in the vehicle. They can check out any issue you may have. And, of course, they'll sell you a car as well. I mean, if you want a Ford or a Lincoln, they've got it. They'll order it for you if they don't have it on the lot. They've got a great selection of used cars as well. So if you have a fender bender, take it to the body shop. I have people ask me all the time about, hey, I'm having car trouble. Where would you go? Without doubt. Go out to Cannon Ford of Startville on Highway 182 east of Startville. Chris Keene and the gang, they'll take care of you. They'll make sure that you're done right. They're good, honest people, which is a great thing and sometimes a little bit of a limited thing when you see in the car business. I hate to say that. So go by and see them at Cannon Ford of Startville. Okay, stayed in South Carolina. 1 o'clock start today, 2 o'clock if you're over in Columbia. Think a big key today before we go. Such a big key is you can't be 2-0. You can't be 3-1. You can't be 2-1. Oh, pitch counts. You have got to be ahead today because, as you saw yesterday with Luke Hancock hitting that ball out of the yard to right field in the first inning, a 2-0 fastball is completely different than an 0-1 fastball. It was interesting, too, because I really picked up on that again in that Georgia-Arkansas game last night, the home run the guy for Georgia hits. He got to a 2-0 count, and he just sold out. He was yeah. like, I'm coming out of my shoes swinging at a fastball, and if I get a curveball and I swing and a miss, well, it's 2-1. and one. I don't care. And that's the danger. That's one of the things that I think is underrated in terms of just – I think back to when I would just go watch a game and I'm not paying terribly close attention, is the difference in the advantage that swings to the pitcher versus the hitter. On an 0-2 count or a 2-0 count, it is just different. And I think if you start falling behind, if we start spiking curveballs on pitch one, yeah, it, it you give away, you just put yourself in a real bind. By the way, you made a, a great point in a text message that you sent to me during Uh-oh. the game yesterday. And Can you say it? Yeah, I want to go back to the Tanner Leggett hit. We talked about Tanner Leggett earlier and some of the struggles he was having, but he drove in a run yesterday. Had a big base hit right back up the middle. And you remember the pitch? Breaking ball right down the middle. 
So you've got a guy who's struggling. That's the thing. You look at Forsyth, you look at Leggett, you look at guys at the bottom of our order. When they have had trouble, it has been elevated fastballs, fastballs off the plate, and sometimes just not catching up with them. Why you take a guy who is behind on his swings and throw it soft over the middle, you're just giving him a chance. Well, it's like spiking that breaking ball to Forsyth when you're at Auburn. And I know Butch Thompson's probably still mad about that. Throw a wild pitch when you got a guy who really has really struggled with with the fastball and you give him with a breaking ball and you start spiking breaking balls early in the count and you fall behind 2-0. and oh. I mean, sometimes, sometimes we make it a little bit harder than it really is. Now, I know you've got to mix pitches. You do have to mix pitches. You can't sit up there and live off fastball all day. You saw Landon Sims yesterday throwing some really good sliders, good tight sliders, and you have to mix pitches. But at the end of the day, too, it's one of those deals of if you're down in your order, if I'm down in that guy's order and I'm the eight-hole hitter and he has not caught up the fastball yet, you just got to climb the ladder a little bit higher. Yeah, why of, slow it down for him yeah, and give him a chance? Absolutely. Well, hey, there's your two cents of pitching from me. Jordan, Charlie, big game today, State and South Carolina. Hey, stretch run right now. We had a good show this past week. We talked about the stretch run with the South Carolina Athletic Director Ray Tanner. He was on the show. And then a good talk with Brent Rooker, who's now in AAA. He made his way up to the big leagues. He's down in AAA with the Twins. And so it was great to talk with Brent about that great run in 2017. That was the last show on out of left field during the midweek. And so go back and check that out if you like. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you're hearing this for the first time. It's uh, it's it's pretty funny and crazy. We say this every week about how the numbers exponentially grow, go up and how many more people are downloading each and every week, and it's been fantastic. And we really appreciate you guys listening each and every week. And so we'll be back during the midweek for Out of Left Field. So until the mid- midweek, hope you guys have a fun time watching the game today. Hope the dogs can take care of business. We'll have a Tuesday night game at home against UT Martin. Charlie and I will be there. Won't you be there? You'll be there? I will be there. Okay, I'll be there too. We're counting them down. we got five games left. Ain't long now. Not many. Hard to believe. No, we've only four. got four that we broadcast yeah, we got in the stadium. Two of the Missouri series next week. So, for Charlie Winfield, I'm Bart Gregory. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on Sunday Coffee.